if happiness is what should get us through life, I can't imagine that that experience had anything to do with happiness whatsoever. I think what he said that meaning and purpose is really, really key. And I think for a lot of us, we're never allowed to really get to the, our own estimate of what that meaning and purpose is, is because you know, so many people have created our, like my junior golfers with their parents. I got to grab their parents and go, yo, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like the number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler, when he got to number one last year, this week, last year, his dad went onto the green and said, I don't care that you're the number one golfer in the world. I'm proud of the man you've become. That is, it's possible to be great at sports and not have to have a psycho parent. I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you? Got you? Today on the podcast, I sit down with Sean Foley. Now, Sean is regarded as one of, if not the greatest golf teachers in history. Now, he's worked with some of the all-time great players like Tiger Woods, Justin Rose, Cameron Champ, Lydia Ko, and Danny Willett. Now, his core teaching philosophy really is driven by a passion to help golfers evolve into the best players and people they can be. Now, he does this by incorporating biomechanics, leading technology, physiology, performance psychology, and philosophy into his instruction. Now, this is really why I wanted to have him on, because Sean is so knowledgeable and so widely read across vastly different domains like neuroscience, and he brings that into today's discussion. So on this episode, Sean is going to dive deeper into the biggest barriers people need to overcome for high performance, how to challenge your beliefs that are holding you back and what he's learned coaching some of the best players to ever play. Please enjoy this conversation with Sean Foley. Hey guys, it's Sean. And for the last 15 years, I've been working at the intersection of elite performance, entrepreneurship, and personal development. Now, as a success coach, former professional athlete, entrepreneur, and podcast host, my mission has been helping people discover their untapped potential and live their best life. Now, after being an advisor to Inc.'s fastest growing companies, interviewing billionaire business titans, and personally coaching CEOs and executives, I've put together the most impactful tools and exercise into my online personal growth course called You Unleashed. Now, if you've been looking to get access to a course that's going to help you expand your potential to help you overcome your obstacles, cultivate your passion, and create your purpose, then head to What Got You There dot com forward slash you dash unleashed that's what got you there dot com forward slash you dash unleashed or click the link below to check out my online personal growth course called you unleashed sean welcome to what got you there how are you doing today i'm good sean yeah i'm i'm uh, i'm excited to uh, be a part of this yeah, I'm ready to dive in, and I would love to start around a post you had a few years ago around planting the seed. And I'm going to read a little bit of this because I thought this was incredibly um, thoughtful and said, when we plant the seed, we have to trust that the soil's nutrients, sunlight, and water are going to help it grow. Those are the principles of growth. If each day we dig up the soil to see if the seed is growing, we will have to plant it again and again as we stress the seed's ecosystems. And then you go on to say, in our golf game, our physical skill set followed this exact same equation. I would love for you just to dive further around planting the seeds and what that looks like in how you approach your craft. Yeah, I, 
I didn't come up with that. Like I don't much, much of what I speak about, I didn't come up with, but I've always been a voracious reader. And then I've always been fascinated by, uh, you know, by people, um, game changers, so to speak. Uh, not so much successful people, because I don't think you have to be intelligent or deep or impressive to be successful. Um, I think, <laughs> I think, I think, I think Instagram and TikTok influencers prove that uh, very, very well, right? I mean, I'm this guy, Jake Paul, I'm a fan. He works hard and he goes after it. But I mean, it's the, never in the history of mankind uh, and womankind or human beings have we ever been able to be mediocre and be so incredibly successful? If you were <laughs> mediocre as a lion, if you were mediocre as a lion, you were skinny. Okay. You were skinny. So, um, I, I think that came from a Buddhist text that I, I read. I got, I was fascinated with Buddhism between the ages of like 12 and, and, and 20. Um, I just felt it spoke to me more, uh, than the other, uh, indoctrinations or domestications of my thought. Um, and, you know, I just think the idea of being reflection, you know, having reflection and introspection and as a coach, you know, say I work with a player who's lost this game, right. Which is kind of my MO. Um, I know at that point that I am adopting someone whose physical skill set is not competent. And mentally, they're all over the shop, right? So, one, you know when you start with someone like that, paychecks probably aren't going to be pouring in. So, you got to really be thoughtful on who you pick. And you better enjoy their company because you know the climb that you have to take is steep and it's freezing. Mm -hmm. And so, and the funny thing is I love that part the most. Oh, that's um, interesting. I technically have been to the summit a few times and I've... The thing about the summit, and I've said this a million times, but I, I just really, it, this is an original thing that I came up with, um, is when you get to the summit, there's no oxygen. It's freezing, freezing cold. And the trouble is going down is like where 80% of climbers die. It's the descent. It's not the ascent. And so it's kind of no man's land. Or... Uh, in the words of Mandela, you get to the summit and look, and there's a way bigger mountain to climb, right? Yep. Um, and a couple of times for me, there wasn't a bigger mountain to climb. And I kind of got up there and it was just this weird depression that hit me after that. And, you know, depression, anxiety, um, they're natural. It's completely natural. Uh, as survivors, which is what human beings are, every single species on the planet is main, it's, it's, its main operation is to survive. It's not to thrive. Um, and so I think that, you know, in the idea of that, that's how things grow. Remember, we're made up of the same molecules and cells and nutrients as plants are. We're all, we're, everything is connected. Like it, it's, if you talk to a physicist, it's not, it's amazing how, you know, menial thinking is that we're divided in Christians and Muslims and Republicans and Democrats and all that. But really, that's just a lot of people watching television with one, a primate brain. We all have it. So we it's, it's important for us to be accepted by a tribe uh, because that has to do with sustaining our survival. Uh, if you look back to our biology. So. 
and I had a D in biology. Everything I talk about, whether it's physics or whatever, in school, Sean, I was a disaster. So um, as soon as I got more interested, I'd love to go. It's, it's a shame that only now at 49 can I think about, man, if I could start college again, mm. what I would study. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, oh, yeah. It's crazy when you have no idea for, for probably 95 percent of us. You have no idea what you're interested in yet. And then you have to major in something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It, it, it's kind of a it, it, it's kind of it's a good thing I, I majored in uh, in philosophy. Um, but I, I remember someone saying to me, how can you get a job with a philosophy degree? And I was like, I don't I'm not sure. I guess I guess you become a, a philosopher, so to speak. But but who's not a philosopher? Like all of us are living. We're all just walking robots, the extension of what our philosophy is anyway. So we're all philosophers. I think it's, it's a great thing to study. And, and you know, I, I believe that, you know, we, I was dropped like in reference to that quote. Um, and the crazy thing about that quote is that my player, Danny Willett, when he, when he sent that to me, he sent me that text message. Um, and look, who's not result driven? Who's not like, right. We're all result driven. I mean, we're born and then they tell us, you know, you got to do this and then you got to go to college to be successful. And then to get a house like this, you got to do that. The, the whole focus is about results. There's mm -hmm. nothing to do with the, with the process. Right. Yep. Um, it's not about the process at all. It really, it's not about the process at all. So when you Amazon, Jeff Bezos, what he's done, that's very process-based. I mean, this most fantastic picture of him sitting in his office with his two with his two employees. Yeah, yeah. Right? And everyone telling him, but this is a dumb idea. This is this is I've had ideas when everyone around me is like, this is a terrible idea. I know it's a home run. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because within their vision of what they can do themselves. And remember, the only limit you have is the one that you bestow upon yourself because circumstance and situation have no effect on us. It's just our estimate of that. Um, that's kind of more like the stuff I read in Stoicism. I think Marcus Aurelius was the one who said that. Um, but it's just the idea, like I'm drive to Lake Nona as a golf course on the other side of town here in Orlando uh, to see a couple of my clients and they've done a lot of like uh, construction down the 417 and it used to just be like boom nothing uh, it took me 30 minutes now it's like 45 minutes to an hour and you watch these buildings go up I leave and I go on the road and then it's a month before I go back and there's 20 stories built on this building that I hadn't even seen it's because to turn the land into where they could put a foundation on it and then pour the foundation and do all the engineering around the base of the building. That took two years. But when you're driving by, you can't really see workers pouring concrete. Mm -hmm. you, and, and it's so mundane and so constantly the same that you then stop to, you don't notice it anymore. And so, then you go for a month and you come back and they build 20 stories with windows because that's the easy part. Mm. That's the easy part, right? Yep. It, in order for that building to be built, 
the the climb, so to speak, off of the analogy of a mountain, is that that first part, right? It's the first part. So taking all this land, making it flat enough, um, and you can tell that's hard because the machines that are doing it weigh 70 tons, hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So modern man can't clear that land himself. Like, he can build a building, no problem, but that other part has to be done. And so it's the same type of thing. There's plenty of plants on the earth that take a couple of years to grow nine or 10 inches. And then over the next six months, they grow like 10 feet. Yeah. And I, I just think that that's just a, a great analogy. And I think like with kids where we mess up is because they can say the alphabet, we think they should be able to write a sentence. So think about a guy like Jack Kerouac, who became an incredible writer or just all the incredible writers. At one point, they were struggling with the alphabet. And at one point, they didn't know where to put the comma. And so it's all those failures that they've had along the way. And I don't think failure is a bad word, right? If you talk to a neuroscientist, the word failure means feedback. So this is like, okay, look, you have this bit of knowledge, which is helpful. But in order to really get understanding, you need wisdom. But wisdom only really comes from struggling and solving problems. So if you want true understanding, you can know everything in the world about, in your case, lacrosse. I could study lacrosse and know more about lacrosse than you if I spent my time doing it. But I've never played the game. I've never been hit. I've never. So my understanding can't be great. Mm. Right. So th I think that's it. And, and I think that that's the problem. It's like the last. Uh, month or so ever since that Netflix full swing came out. I've had people come up to me in airports or, or at wherever I am, but never really at the golf course and say, uh, Hey, Sean, I really liked your commentary on Netflix. Um, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I'm here to coach at this tournament. And they're like, Oh, I thought when you were done with Tiger, you quit coaching. I'm like, no, so, so you know these people have never played golf. Yeah. But then they've watched it. With, with the drive to survive, I'd never seen one second of a Formula One race. And then one night, um, you know, when that boredom hits at 8 o'clock and you should go to bed, <laughs> I turned on the TV and I watched – and I binge-watched Drive yeah. to Survive. Yeah. And now I have, like, my favorite driver, yeah. my managers that I like. So, I mean, I don't think it's good for the system for us to realize that when we become, when we are, when we have access to become interested in something and we understand it more, we enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that's a long-winded, tangential answer to that thing, but I just, I think that somebody said to me at one point that in life you're on this bridge and it's foggy, and you know if you just keep going down the bridge, there's an end point. But the the dangerous point in the whole thing is when. You can't see where you started and you can't see where you finished. And when that unknown pops up, and remember, we have a primate brain, uh, an unknown is going to be connected with fear, which is at a way deeper level, going to be connected to uh, not surviving. Hmm. So I kind of know which way I came, but so I'm going to go back, right? I'm hmm. uncomfortable now, so I'm going to go back. But you know the bridge is straight. Like, you know this. They, they've, you saw it in the daylight with no fog, and it's straight. So why go back 
when the only way is to really go forward and just realize that, you know, like the acronym for fear. Uh, now, I would say this is fear as a from a thriving scenario. So the first thing a baby does when they come out of the womb is they cry. The first thing. Why is that? Because they're like, holy shit. <laughs> like, what? This is freaking me out, right? And then they give them to mom, not to dad, and then the baby's fine. Once, once mom takes them, right, the, the baby's fine. And just that sheer touch and then the next year of that touch is going to have so much to do with that kid's biological and, and mental health as we go on, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, I think when, when, you, when, you, when you look at it like that, it's okay to have fear. It is completely okay to have fear. It's definitely okay to embrace it, but it's not fair to your experience to capitulate to it. Hmm. So the capitulation of like phobias and all these things, and everyone has, everyone has something, right? Like we all have something. We all have a cross to bear for sure. And you can pretty much guarantee that during a day, 100% of the people you meet, they're all wounded, right? Yeah. I think if you, if, you, if you know that every time you meet someone, and you know what it feels like to get hurt or to fail or to be a disappointment. Man, I just think if everyone you meet, regardless of how they look, famous, wealthy, poor, whatever, if you just treat them knowing that they're hurt like you are, the empathy just is very universal. I think it's, I think that's, it's been the highlight of my life is that my mom and dad made kindness more important than grades, success, or anything, you know? And to really deeply understand kindness. And I think that what it led me to understanding is that if I can learn to love myself and if I can improve, then one, I'm only capable of loving others. And if I improve myself, knowing that I'm creating my experience, then everything around me will improve because nothing is separate from me. Hey guys, it's Sean, and we are about to dive right back into this episode, but before we do, I wanted to take less than a minute to tell you about my online personal development course called You Unleashed. Now, over the years, I've personally coached CEOs, executives, and professional athletes, and I've interviewed over 300 of the world's most successful people on this podcast, and my course, You Unleashed, compiles the most important routines, mindsets, and skills that you need to skyrocket the success in your own life. Now, you will learn these things over 19 video lectures that I'm going to teach you in this course. And you can find out more about the course by heading to whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed, or you can click the link below. Now, that's whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed. I think I could have said that 15 years ago and sounded smart and deep and all that. And I think you got to say it before you really get it. But now that it's almost like, a habit um, that's a I think it's a fantastic place to be but I don't think that the uh, society or the tribe that this is a goal like the fact that we're not like not once during COVID and I, I, I don't anti pro fuck whatever I don't care about all that because most of the people who are they've never even assessed why they are mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter to me right just robots and automation that's fine um, I get that. I have no disdain for people at all. So it's that's their own. How, how you think about something is not going to hold back anyone around you. It's just going to hold yourself back. So. But. Nowhere. 
did I ever turn on the TV and say, this is how you can boost your immunity ever. Nothing, nothing about hydration, sleep, exercise, sunlight, nothing like nothing like guaranteed things that will benefit your immune system because our immune system was built in a time that we came in contact with the earth, with our bodies and our feet, right? Mm -hmm. When there was no access to hot water, everything was cold water. We had to exercise because we had to go hunt and women had to build the society. So they were nonstop. I mean, what man in the world is more busy than a woman is, I don't think it's possible. Right. The old, I love it when guys are like, yeah, my wife just works at home. And I'm like, you know, we can't do that. Right. Like, you know, we would, we would like kill ourselves if we had to try for a month to be so selfless and do everything for everybody and get no thank you at the end of the day. (laughs) Oh yeah. Spot on. (laughs) This is 4,000 years old. This ain't new. This is like, you're always going to be what you were. You might become slightly less of it, but it'll always be there. You'll always be your trauma. You'll always be your, you'll be your, your everything. And so it, as it relates to uh, uh, psychology, I think that, you know, we have technically in a first world country, incredibly high rates of anxiety and depression. Then they say, well, you know, they attach it to the to COVID. And look, for human beings to be told to sit in your house and do nothing, that goes completely against our physiology, mm. right? Because when you see people, Sean, who only do that, they don't have relationships. Remember, relationships are massively important for immunity as well, okay? <laughs> like all, all this stuff. And technically, they're obese and they're stalled in their thinking. So we're not you're not going to find back in in up until 500 years ago, anyone who had we ate when we could eat. We couldn't just choose like couldn't go to the fridge or couldn't go to the. And look, that's why we have more longevity now as human beings, because we have more options for protein, fats and carbohydrates, which are really important. But it's like everything, right? Like. You want to give your kids opportunities, but if you give them too many, they'll never be able to fight for their own. Like it's all so hard. It's so it's 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 so difficult. So, yeah. Would you rather grow up in poverty or privilege? I think anybody would say privilege. But the one thing about so many people have really directly changed the trajectory of the world. They grew up in poverty Mm -hmm. and they grew up in complete abject struggle and were able to make it out. So. That's just knowing that the self-esteem was so strong and the aura was built up with so much energy because this person wasn't confident. They just knew they could overcome anything and they knew the process. So go further on that process. I'm wondering how you navigate that with the people you coach. Um, well, it just, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, it goes back to the, my career has been slightly different. It started out, um, with Stephen Ames, who was, you know, 40, uh, uh, 43 years old had a bad back. Um, one of my best friends to this day, Dr. Craig Davies, was a chiropractor in Canada. We decided to come down to the States together to build a business together where it'd be a train. He's a trainer as well, but trainer and sports therapist with a golf coach. And we work in conjunction with the player. So create this ecosystem of, it's not me saying you need to do this. And then him saying they actually, they actually don't have the strength in their glute to rotate. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, okay, cool. So how can I not do harm? So when Craig would assess them and I'd say, I was looking at doing this, he'd say, no, no, yes, maybe no. So I had to find, so one, my education was uh, with anatomy and physiology went through the roof because he was teaching me all this stuff. But I also knew that there's always low hanging fruit that isn't that directly related to my preference. So that's where you get into data and measurement and strokes gain. And remember, your preference is super dangerous, especially when you're trying to help other people. Yeah. Because th- th- you have to be aware of that, like uh, aware of that. And I, I find now probably I'm probably like the least harmful I've ever been professionally because I've kind of made those cardinal sins mm-hmm. and many of them and I've learned from them. And so now I say my clients are pretty safe with me. And so I never thought 25 years ago when I started coaching golf that I'd be working with my clients on software to teach them how to breathe more appropriately to govern their nervous system ever, like ever. Back then it was like, take a deep breath and they'd go, and I'd go, okay, good. And I didn't realize because they, they breathed above the vagus nerve, they were going to get more sympathetic, right? Not more parasympathetic. And so I can't believe that if you told me 25 years ago, I would have said that. I'd be like, that guy sounds like quack, and maybe I am. But <laughs> I definitely feel like a fraud quite often, so maybe I'm a quack too. But I, I just wanted to keep pushing the envelope. So now, after all these years, and I had about four years where I had four players in the top 20 in the world, um, I'm not physically able to do that anymore. That was 6 a.m. till 8 a.m. every day on my feet outside walking the whole day, right? Um, I can't do that anymore. And so at that point to me, outside of being kind of inspirational and a good friend and a loyal coach, my kind of natural way, that's just me, Hmm. um, everything in performance was due to poor technique, right? So it went down, really went down the rabbit hole on that as well. And I'm grateful for that because look, it's science has answers for everything, but the idea of trust the science is, is also being uh, is being a little bit uh, obtuse because mm-hmm. everybody's using everything to work towards their agenda, period. So um, you know, working with Tiger Woods after a year after his divorce and everything else, um, other players who had lost their game and came to me, um, my work over the last couple of years with Lydia Ko, who was ranked number one in the world at 17. Um, I started with her at 23 and she was 55th in the world. Um, that's when you just start, you're at base camp and you're starting to climb. It's the worst part, right? Everyone's so happy to get to base camp because it's breathable. It's livable. And you've climbed a little bit. So there's gratitude. And then you're just looking at what you're about to do. And it's so big and so massive that base camp is like a real nice feeling. Right. Mm. Okay. So when, when you're on that climb and you know, one, their technique's not that good. Um, but the one thing about technique is that you have to always understand that it's all based on neurons and cells, how we move, how we, so much is automated. So, you know they're doing something currently that's just really, really wrong for them. And if you get videos of them at 13 or 14 when they were fantastic junior golfers, that leaves a lot of clues. Now, if I didn't 
start to get mentored by neuroscientists, I would have never understood that because I could see where at least on one occasion where I failed at my job a great deal. I won't say that I'm always helpful, but I'm never hurtful. Um, this is when I just didn't appreciate one, the type of learner and two, I'd been having so much success that I just thought, boom, here's another one. And I was arrogant and I fucked up and I've had to deal with that, you know, in my sleep for a long time. I probably always will. Um, but it's okay. Like I'm, I'm not like upset myself. I, but I can't say I did my best, but I did do my best at that time. And I think that saying that as it relates to relationships that we have with people, because so much of being successful in life. And by that, I don't mean Lamborghinis and everyone has their own definition of what that means to them. So I'm not saying mine is, should be universal. It's just for me is, you know, relationships, friendships, all these things, they all go into this kind of call it the, the pizza pie of success, right? It's so some people's is 89% of the pie is money. Some is relationships. Some is it's whatever. Right. Um, and I don't think there's any balance to this because I think life is pretty chaotic and pretty random and very variable. So I think it's more just being at peace with the unbalance of all of it and recognizing that looking at balance or unbalance is probably still not seeing it correctly. I think it's seeing it that where no matter where you're at, that's where you're at and you're present. So if you're at home with your kids, you're, you're there. Um, How'd you get to that place, Sean, just with, with the amount of things you have going on, how were you able to, put those distractions aside and sit there and be with your boys. I'm still not good at it, dude. I'm, I mean, I still get pissed at myself when I'm sitting there and I'm, 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 I haven't seen them all day and I hadn't seen them for the week before. And then I'm some prick sitting on the couch reading the New York times on my, and I'm like, and they're like, Hey dad, you want to go play lacrosse? And I'm like, yeah, in a minute. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what are you even doing? Um, so look, we're, we're all going to do that. Um, we're all going to do that. I mean, dude, when those iPads came out and our kids were little, I was like, man, we don't even need a babysitter. This is perfect. I can continue to focus on my self-centered. My wife calls our life the Sean show. So I can continue to focus on the Sean show. And they seem quite happy over there as I'm just eroding their neurons and getting them to where at 15, they can't focus for fucking 10 seconds on anything. That's all partially my fault. Um, but they also have so many skills from that time that's going to help them because it's all computers now. I can't even – I always get freaked out when I have to get on a Zoom call. I get all anxious because I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, my, my last year of college is the first year of email. So I didn't really learn all this stuff. And then I just coach golf. So, I mean, all I needed to do was know how to put – you know a day timer on my computer. So I'm if, if success starting tomorrow came down to being it knowledgeable, dude, I'm going to be homeless. I don't know what I'm doing with any of it. So I think that's the important part is about talking about things like this is that when I started doing like uh, speaking engagements, it's a weird place because it's like, you're going up to speak and these people are ready to listen to you. And you know, a percentage of them don't want to be there 
and th- and that's whatever. That's fine. I, there's probably been a million things I've been to I didn't want to be at that I went to. Um, and you're going to go up and do this thing. And I think it's very important to get people to realize, one, you're as hurt as they are. Two, you're as confused as they are. But you're not as much as you used to be. Hmm. And, you know, you don't really lay in bed anymore for more than five minutes. And then if you do and your mind's spinning, rather than try to analyze and think about it, you just sit with the discomfort of it and recognize at some point it's not going to be there anymore. And the next thing you know, you're asleep. It's like it's almost the path of no resistance that's the key. It's not about I have a friend named Garrett Kramer um, and he's very polarizing, but he's only very polarizing because he's really challenging. He's not polarizing. The domesticated systems that we've been taught is what's polarizing. He's just saying what he thinks. And he wrote a book called still power instead of willpower. Right. Um, And if he read it again, he'd probably go, Oh my God, I wish I could rewrite it. But at the moment at the time, I, you know, I really liked it. And I was reading some people that mentored him. And then I ran into him somehow. And um, uh, I remember I ran into him because back when I used to be in Golf Digest on the masthead, I had an article every month at the front. And uh, there was like the mental tools at the bottom thing. And I didn't even write it. I didn't even write it. Like, they would write the article. I would edit it and go, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. And, you know, all their editors are very good. But, of course, they're not going to understand things at the level I would yeah. understand it. This is the difference between a GP and a neuroradiologist, right? So, um, I, I remember this thing about positive thinking, which I'm completely not into at all. Like, at all. Um as much as I'm not into negative thinking, I'm like, I'm not in, I'm not even into judging the experience. I'm just into the experience. It's like, okay, I had a bad day. Cause one, that's going to happen. Like in order for my day to go well, imagine this, right? You get on a plane in the morning and you're flying to LA and then you're going to go to LA and then you're going to get on a plane again at night and fly home. And when it doesn't work well, we bitch, but really if you sat there and sat there with someone for four hours who took you through all the things that are happening (laughs) in time. So I think like you really think that way, you're almost always left with gratitude. Mm -hmm. And when shit goes the wrong way, you're like, that should have (laughs) happened. That's exactly, that's all, all all I need is Donna to call in sick and the new girl doesn't know how to work the computer and then all we need to do is realize that they let this one plane go two extra flights before they fix the light in the bathroom. Oh, it's it's amazing how well things go. And then when they don't, we're like, oh, this is bullshit. And why is this happening? And it's kind of like, I think, I think the people behind the scenes who know exactly what it takes for a plane to take off and land and do it again in the afternoon they think it's an amazing yeah. system because you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So it's, it, it, uh, that's, that's again is another tangent, but it kind of all relates back to the same thing. One, just really trying to understand like what you're, what you're looking at. So 
it's like a 10 chapter book on happiness. I'm like, why in the first chapter that should be one page, it says happiness is free, but it's not guaranteed all day. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's like someone's like, hey, why are you happy? It's the hardest question to answer because you're like, um, I just listened to my favorite song. But you know what? Sometimes when I'm not happy, I can't even hear my favorite song. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a great wife. That's true on my shittiest days. Um, my players are playing good. I've been depressed when that's happening. So apparently whatever I'm feeling can't possibly be coming from outside of me because if that's the case, I should feel the same every time that's occurring, but I don't. But I don't. So I can't answer really why I'm happy, except that I think I'm biologically supposed to feel like this. Um, but if someone asked me why you're, if someone asked me why I'm mad, it's it, it's a it's a thirty page essay, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I woke up this morning, and there was traffic. Okay, do you have any control over traffic, and when people leave their house at the same time? And do you not think that when your flight was at nine a.m., that you should have one stayed at the hotel at the airport, or two? Uh, leave really early and just know that you were guaranteed getting there. So I'm only ever pissed off in traffic when I have somewhere to be, Sean. So there's a good chance that what I'm really mad at is I didn't fucking prepare for what was going to happen. Maybe I'm just mad at me and I'm not mad at it because there's plenty of times I'm in traffic and I'm not upset. (laughs) So there's times in traffic I'm like, oh, perfect. Now I can call my mom back. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So... I think when you realize that what's outside of you isn't really doing much to you, I think it's very powerful. And um, it's just how you react to it. And just to know that, you know, I'm looking outside right now and it's a completely perfect day. It's Florida, it's blue skies, no wind. But as it is with Florida, by four o'clock today, it might look like a hurricane. Yeah. And I think consciousness is very similar to that. You know, I think I've had days where I'm coaching and in the morning I feel like I'm bulletproof. And in the afternoon I'm scared to talk. And it's like, I think I've just got to where I'm okay with that and recognize that, look, if you feel like that, um, then one, don't talk and just say, you know what? I'm not seeing it today. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't know. And if a player is like, well, I need you on all the time. And it's like, well, you shot 75 a week ago and 67 today. So I don't need you to shoot 75. So why are you shooting 75? It's because golf's really hard. Okay. And coaching is really hard. And being a husband is really hard. And being a parent is impossible. It's it's impossible. Um, So I think what you have to do is you have to create meta perspectives. So, and you have to have non-negotiables. So for me, with my kids, the non-negotiables is kindness, sleep, exercise, and reading. And every day when they got to read, it's World War III, Sean, every single time. Like it's never going to end, as it was in my house with my father, right? But years later, the problem with kids is that they just – it's going to be a long time before they realize – what their parents did for them, Mm. you know? And we both know what that feels like. Right. Mm. And, and, or what they parents, what their parents did to them. It 
yeah. everything is in, everything is in duality, right? Like yin and yang, right or wrong, you know, hot, cold. Um, and I think there's a deeper level to that, but that's like way too heavy to talk about because I'm not, I don't really understand it that well yet. There's still a lot of things I talk about that I don't really understand yet. So the reason that they don't have as much gravity as when they hit people is because our souls all have a bullshit detector yeah. and know <laughs> and know if this is authentic yet or if this is they're still working yeah. through it, you know, still still working, working through it. We can work um, through it together over some Corona's. Well, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it. I, I, I think with those non-negotiables. My parents had very similar non-negotiables and my brother is a producer and director in, in, in television and I'm teaching golf at a high level. And I think in our early 20s, you probably would have hedged on us that we were probably going to be in jail or doing something ridiculous with our life. Right. Because that's where we're at. And I think, you know, you had to go. We had, you have to go through it to get to it. And we had to make and they really allowed us to make all these mistakes, you know, um, and I think that was probably very hard for them because they were probably really concerned and worried a lot. Um, but, you know, by not overparenting, but always being stern about the non-negotiables, it led me years and years later to where because I was in such a dire situation, I had no choice but to learn how to work. I had no choice. And so teaching golf at the time wasn't paying the rent. So then I became a personal trainer and waited tables too. And so I went from, you know, being a disaster to working 20 hours a day for five or six years. But because I was forced to read all the stuff I was forced to read, I kind of had this like encyclopedia of people that accomplished these amazing things and what makes me any different. I think I can do it too. And, you know, years later, I'm sitting at a table with the CEO at a corporate outing talking about Israel and Palestine and Russia and Iran. And he's blown away that a golf coach has this level of understanding. But my dad had me reading all that stuff. Yeah. So I think the key like that I've kind of settled into with parenting is just to know that if I do a good job, my 14 year old might not like me again until he's 24. But as long as that love is fostered and kept there, look, like is not powerful. Love is powerful. There's plenty of people I like that I don't respect. And then there's people I respect that I don't like. I think that respect is, is more the fascia of a relationship than the like. Mm. It's just I like it. You know, like there's plenty of things I like that I don't do anymore. Um, but, you know, love is uh, constant and it's powerful. Sean, this has, this has me wondering then about the, uh, the the early days, the Outback days, when you're working at Outback Steakhouse. What is the internal dialogue like for you at that time? Because you mentioned you had that that profound knowledge of all the biographies, reading your dad's biographies, where you had read about these people who had done amazing things. So what was the internal state like? What was your dialogue like during those times? Well, Well, one, you know, Thank you for doing a podcast where you actually have a good idea of what of what I've done, uh, you know, those times. So your due diligence is super appreciated. Um, look, I've always been like typically a good mooded person, you know, like 
I've always enjoyed reading. I've always enjoyed golf. I've always loved hip hop music. So probably since I'm 13, that's making up most of my day. So I've always kind of done the things I enjoy. And and um, I didn't really enjoy reading at, at that age, but I started to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I still I still uh, thoroughly enjoy it. Um, like as my knees a bit iffy today, I'm going to get delve into this book called golf beneath the surface, uh, which is by a friend of mine named Raymond Pryor, um, who's actually brought science to sports psychology, which is fantastic, especially for, you know, past lacrosse greats who had uh, mental issues with shooting the ball and <laughs> were told a whole bunch <laughs> of ridiculous shit that never worked. So <laughs> the, the first chapter is on the anatomy of the brain. And I'm like, yes, yeah, yeah. let's yep. let's let's not talk about mental health. Let's talk about brain health. Look, when my pancreas has an issue, someone doesn't say they call it a pancreas. So let's let's explain this. Let's let's look at it's brain health it's not mental health. I think if we called it brain health, I think a lot more people, especially men, would check in and, you know, and, and maybe do some work. But when you call it mental health, it's like we've tried to our whole life. We try to prove to everyone there's nothing wrong with us. And that, you know, that that we fit in and we should be accepted. Whereas the truth is the only thing wrong with us is that we actually think something's wrong with us. I mean, look at look at look at our life. Right. Like, of course, a lot of people are lost because they never got to choose their life. We were put into a assembly line. Noam Chomsky talks about this assembly line all the time. And I think it's it's so perfect. It's just this assembly line. Right. They're, we're just assembling ourselves to twenty five. I remember when we were around that age and I wasn't like, I didn't have a girlfriend or I can go to parts of the country or someone say, you married? And I'd go, no. And they're like, you're not (laughs) (laughs) like what's, what's wrong with you? Or someone says, Sean, you know, you're a really nice guy and you're great to people. What church do you go to? Um, I don't go to church. You don't, you seem like someone who go to church. And I'm like, "Mm, what does that seem like to you? Right. So I think you have you have a deeper empathy for people and yourself when you recognize that so many of the things that you believe were inundated into you like data into a computer before you even had access to choosing what you thought. Right. So. All these longstanding conflicts in human society. I mean, you could argue in all of those areas where there's this historical hatred and disdain. Um, if you found a way to get everyone over the age of six to not live there, and then you got rid of every single book within two generations, you're going to have a homeostatic thing. So when you know what I mean? Yep. So when you realize like, Love is way more natural than hate. Mm. Hate is taught. Hate is taught, right? It is completely taught. Like whenever we get these these unfortunate situations with like a school shooting, whenever the MO comes out about the kid who did it, it always like, you know, it's sad and you could never imagine doing that. But 
it's like, oh man, kid's a loner from the start, was put in a closet for four years, was bullied. You know, it's the whole thing. Like you get it. Now that happened to a lot of people. So it's obviously a choice, but we can't really understand. Like everyone gets, look, there's guys who go to war and they don't get PTSD. There's guys who go to war and they get PTSD. They both saw crazy, crazy things, but we all don't react to trauma the same way. To this day, since 9-11, people won't get on planes. I go on a plane all the time. It doesn't mean I'm right and they're wrong. They, they have the, they're allowed to do whatever they want to do. Like that doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, but I think if you tap into the math of it, like when you're in turbulence on a flight, which is pretty much all the time, you know, it's very uncomfortable and it's kind of freaky. I mean, dude, you're 35,000 feet off the, the earth and you don't have a parachute and the plane is shaking and you've probably saw some movie like 10 times the plane's crashing. So that's definitely in there, whether or not you recognize it or not. Right. A lot of the stuff that's governing what we're doing is so behind the curtains. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go to a play or, you know, or opera or something, it's just this big red sheet. And then it opens and there's a whole world back there. That that's a real thing that's happening in us. Right. So, you almost can't get upset at people sometimes because they're almost not even responsible for what they're saying at their moment. It's literally just like neuropathway 1700. And, and some of these words I throw out as it relates to brain science, I'm sure a true brain scientist would say that's vague, but look, I've studied it enough to understand that um, we can become special, but we're not that special. Okay. So don't, don't be that surprised when people don't agree with you. Don't be that surprised when people act a certain way. Don't just don't be and definitely don't take it personally or be offended by it because it has nothing to do with you, mm-hmm. like nothing to do with you. Right. I get these I get these DMs because a big thing for me with Instagram and social media is not having a lot of followers. It's just having really direct relationships. So I probably return 95 percent of my DMs and then I try to respond to every comment that I can because it's that it is not social by any measure, but it is social. That would be actually social media. I'm we're talking, right? So, um, and I've met a lot of incredible people through it too, but I get some crazy DMS like crazy DMS. And I remember when I was younger and I had issues with other people, normally if I look deep enough, there was something about them that I wanted to be. And so really my whole disdain from them was really driven through two seeds. One was jealousy and the other was envy. And so because of how my perception of them made me feel, it's not them making me feel any kind of way because they can't. Yeah. Right. Um, I got, you know, some of my caddies are like, yeah, he yelled at me and I felt terrible. And I'm like, well, he yelled at you yesterday and you didn't feel terrible. He's like, yeah, it's weird. It just happens sometimes. I'm like, it's because it's where you're at within you when it's occurring. Okay. So that's all it, that's all it can be. What can it, what else can it be? It's like, you know, if, if, if I drink cyanide, every time I drink cyanide, I'm going to die. I don't have cyanide receptors, but some days, some days a hard workout is easy. And some days walking up the stairs to work out is difficult. I can't put my finger on why, but guess what? 
you got to start. You still have to start. It mm-hmm. don't matter. Because as you start within it at some point, I bet in your lacrosse career, there's plenty of times where you didn't have it. And then you knew the team you were playing were astonishing. And you didn't even want to, you didn't even want to go out there. You were like, oh my God, I do not want to go out there today. Um, but you went out there. And then at some point over the next hour, you know, it went from hurricane-like to blue skies. And then there was no, nowhere else in the plate in the world you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And you were, you were free and open and playing unbelievable. And so when people think, I need to feel a certain way to do this, that ain't what it is, man. That, that's, I use this analogy all the time, um, probably on every podcast I've ever done, is I was sitting there one night in, uh, in Santa Monica during the LA Open, and a good friend of mine, Joel Einhorn, who's just an unbelievable guy, um, he runs this company called Hanna, which is H-A-N-N-A-H. And Joel was a startup guy, but he's a real seeker. And he moved and he moved and he moved and he moved. Um, well, eventually, in this search for self, you know, he ended up in the Himalayas and in India and all these places. So he started this company that has like ashwagandha, shilajit, turmeric, uh, all all these different supplements that are all curated in Bhutan in an Ayurvedic medicine. So, you know, we see turmeric on TV and all, look, this is the most high level stuff that you can get anywhere. And so Joel's just a really impressive guy. And we're, he, we went, I'm, I'm a, uh, ambassador for the company because it's just the product. I take it all the time. I pay for it to be an ambassador is like such a gift. And I'm sitting there at the table and I don't know what it is, but there's something about the guy next to me, uh, handsome guy, very fit, uh, eyes locking on you. Um, not really, there's a difference between intelligence and intellect. He's intelligent. Um, I don't know what it is. I've, I just, I, but I'm feeling it. Like I can literally sense it. And, and the table is full of impressive men. Like I said to myself, I said at the end, I said, I wish that every week I could sit down and have 50% masculinity and 50% vulnerability. Like it was really fascinating. Yeah. These are men. These are these are alphas. There's no doubt about that. But these were concerned chiefs of the tribe. These were not authoritarian using fear to stay the chief. Right. They were the chief because they were loved, not because they were feared. And and then I had made a comment. I said, well, you know, I said, I think a lot of the mental issues in golf or in many things is in life is really training. So. The fact that when kids are in grade one, that we don't teach them the importance of magnesium, potassium, sodium, chloride in water. So electrolytes, and we can make it really fun for them to learn. Yeah. Right. Yep. Man, you need to go home and tell your parents they need to put electrolytes in your water and parents will do it. Right. Because you know what? The kids come home and say, can I get chips ahoy? And the parents are like, oh, my God, I know that shit. I know it's terrible. I know it's not food. Yes, yeah, sweetie. Right. It's yeah. not even food, bro. It's like not even food. Yeah. I mean, technically, I think if you eat anything after 1900, it's not food. It's more like an experiment. But mm. oh, whatever. Right. Like, 
<laughs> whatever. It's so crazy. Um, and we, if I, if you go in there right now, dude, it's not all just Ayurvedic medicine. All right. Okay. <laughs> if someone says they don't like Cheetos, they're lying. Um, it's, and it's, you read the ingredients. My, my buddy is a nutritionist and he was like, when you read the ingredients, if you can't spell the words, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Good advice there. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can spell water. I can spell beef. I can spell rice. Anyways. Um, and so I said, like, you know, with, with the mental health issues we're having with these kids, it's like plenty of scientists have told us this social media thing is fine. But like anything, if like two beers is great, 20 beers and you're going to go to the hospital. It, there's this understanding of of moderation. OK. Um, two beers with your buddy. Technically, a doctor will say it's not good for you. But then a therapist will say the enjoyment that you had in the dopamine you released with your homie is really important too. Yeah. Now you could probably have two soda waters, but that's not how it works, Sean, <laughs> especially when you're Canadian or you're a lacrosse player from Philly. Okay. There's no way it's not even possible. So if we taught kids to meditate or just breathe prayer meditation, I think sometimes those words that too much in people's biases. Yeah. So if someone's, not into God, and you say pray, they go, whoa. But basically, it's just like, be introspective daily and yeah. be grateful. Yep. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's going to help everybody, right? And give thanks. Don't ask. Yeah. Don't ask. God is not your sports psychologist. Okay. <laughs> and then there's the, 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 other, the other version. Uh, there's the other version of like meditation. So people see the Dalai Lama sitting on the thing, doing the thing, and he's in orange and so even that's got its own problem. Uh, the word does. But if you just said respirate, because in, um, oh, what's his name? James. Um, Talking about a breathe guy? Yes. James, James Nestor. Nestor. Yeah. How good is that book? Yeah. One of, the, one of the best books I've ever read by far, like amazing book, right? I've studied a lot about this stuff for years and I've worked with people on it, but like for someone to put that in that one book, the way that he did it. And then remember all of the knowledge came out of him wanting to understand his own problems, mm -hmm. right? Sleep apnea, snoring, felt shitty mouth breather. Yep. So when he started, he did not, like the book wrote itself over his journey. He didn't sit down and go, okay, chapter one's going to be about this. But, you know, when he talks about all the different religions around the world, yep. every one of them, every single one of them, like there's not one that's not. The uh, historical part of the praying and breathing and meditating and all that was basically a five-second inhale mm -hmm. with either a five-second exhale or a five-second chant, which yeah. would be an exhale, yep. right? Everyone, everyone from Buddhism to Islam to Catholicism, even the timing on the rosary. Yeah. So, of course, when we were all breathing like that, we felt closer to the creator because we went really parasympathetic from the proper flow of oxygen and carbon dioxide, which I didn't know was as big a deal as I did when I was reading that book. Um, 
So yeah, of course we would have felt really at peace and really grateful because like we breathed ourselves into that. So that was quite astonishing, right? Like to me, I was, I remember reading that and going like, I'll never forget that. Yeah. And so we make exercise and reading mandatory, okay? We make sunlight, especially early morning sunlight, depending on the age of the child, because high school kids probably shouldn't be going to bed, shouldn't be going to school till at least 10. There's enough data to yeah. prove that. Putting a 14-year-old in the room at 7.30, you're asking for it, right? Um, that's kind of in, in biology and evolution, that's kind of hibernation phase. You're not quite a man yet, you can't quite go hunting yet, but you need to get prepared to hunt. So when do you recover and grow more than when you sleep? Um, that there we've we could do seven thousand podcasts in one podcast i think sean yeah, yeah. so <laughs> there's all those things that over a generation would completely help mental health so much right yeah. we're all still going to experience hardship we're all going to experience all that but the thing is i'm just saying we're not giving ourselves the things that we need to get ourselves to like mindset like when people are like you know you need a better mindset what does that mean like you know what, today, Sean, your attitude in lacrosse was terrible. I scored three goals. Yeah, but your attitude was terrible. Today, your attitude was great. I was really proud of you. I fucking missed every shot. What does that mean? Like, what does have the right attitude mean? I, like, I don't understand that. Like, be positive. What does that mean? Like, if I'm in a bad mood and you tell me to cheer up, like, I don't want to be in a bad mood. Yeah. I'm just in a bad mood. And I'm sure if you all leave me alone within two hours, I'll snap out of it and go back to clarity and be fine. But if you start asking me why I feel like this, I'm going to end up creating a complete speculatory fiction that over enough time debating it in my mind is going to turn into nonfiction and then be a belief system. And then the rest of my life, I'm going to be stuck seeing the world this way because I, this is exactly what it is. And that all started out with a bad night. Hmm. So th like the reason that I feel like I understand this stuff is because I did my best to completely screw up in any way possible. I had incredible parents, amazing parents, right? If I just do what they did, I'll be okay. Cause what they did was so much more than what their parents did. It was a real goal for them. So guess what? I judge myself sometimes because I'm not at every game. I'm on the road. And my dad was always there for everything. But is that really my job as a father? It's not. That's really not. Like, it's okay. It's okay that they have to play bad and then come home and deal with it. And deal with it, right? Like, when they score and they celebrate, I get pissed at them. I'm like, dude, I don't. I know you saw that on YouTube. That guy plays in the PLL. He's earned the right to do that, okay? You need to be much more humble than that because that type of arrogance is what's going to crush you, mm -hmm. okay? You start thinking it's like this all the time and you go through a bad – the humility that you'll feel, you only fall as low as you climb high in life, right? And so – it's always important. There's going to be like peaks and valleys. There's nothing we can do about that. That's just consciousness. There's no way around it. We're just going to add to the peak and to the depth of the low 
with our with 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 ourselves. And so I talked about the Navy SEALs and I said, look at the Navy SEALs, for example. You take however many, a hundred incredibly qualified guys, right? Uh, 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 aptitude test, athleticism, the best of the best. I mean, crazy, like in your neighborhood, unbelievable, unbelievable units of, of guys, right? And then they're not all, you know, we watch too many movies. So we see like Yvonne Drago as a Navy SEAL and he benches 500 pounds. It's not really the case. Okay. I'm not going to say they're not athletic and strong, but they don't look like the guys at the gym. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, remember, Jason Bourne didn't even look like he could bench 250. <laughs> so, but he could run up walls. And I think there's someone who can actually do that, by the way. And I think there is a real Jason Bourne, to be honest with you. And, I said, they put them through this week called Hell Week. And at the end, they confirmed that 10 of them were special forces. They're special. Okay. They look, they were all special yeah. when they started out. And what did those guys do more than anybody else? They adapted to the stress. They sat within the discomfort. I guarantee you there was a million times they wanted to quit, but they didn't. And and look, if you quit, it's fine. I mean, it's 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 completely fine. I mean, when I went uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to get a stem cell and PRP shot in my ankle. It's been very helpful. Okay. M my other ankle could probably use it, but now I know how bad it hurts, Sean. I probably won't do it again. <laughs> if, if I knew what it was going to be like, mm -hmm. I, there's, I wouldn't have flown to Dallas to do it. And I think, with a lot of those guys who go to Hell Week, they would say the same thing. Yeah. And I think someone like you, if we write down every day of your life since you're 14 and you're in Philly, and then from there you go to North Carolina, and then from there you go to professional lacrosse, when you were 14 and you are like, this is my dream, if we put down on paper every day from then until when you re recognize your dream, you'd have been like, well, who the fuck's going to do that? That looks impossible. Hmm. Yeah. That looks really hard. Yeah. But, so obviously your love for it is the only thing that helped you pushing through. So that is why love is it, it, it's like love is the structure to life. But we have to understand that the foundation of that structure is acceptance. So I have to accept everything. Right. Like I love people. And I, I love my interactions with people. I have to accept that I don't agree with how they see things. And it's okay. I got plenty of friends that I hang out with who I absolutely love. And I disagree with them on 98% of what comes out of their mouth. But the way they are as human beings matters way more to me than all the robotic shit that's been put in their head that's not even real. It's not even real anyway. So it's kind of funny, right? So I said... You take 100 guys, at the end of the week, there's 10 left, and you call them special forces. So their ability to, one, have real meaning and purpose to why they want to do this. A lot of those guys who were incredible athletes and off the charts smart really, really thought they wanted to be SEALs. Mm -hmm. They really did. And it looked cool, and it was right. That wasn't going to push them through the pain, bro. Yep. The guys who saw the towers go down in 9-11 and were like, 
I have to do something. When they sat there and they were ready to quit, they kept that image and that purpose of why they wanted to do it. And, and that's what pushed them through. So once again, the stillness within the discomfort, not the willpower. Because they all have crazy willpower. It, and maybe that's just a dumb word. Like so many things are dumb words, right? Like nice is a dumb word. Like it's just a bad word. Um, I know people are always known to be the nicest people. Man, they got so many problems, dude. Because there's, there's a, I don't even think nice and kind are synonyms. You know, it's like you could be a super kind man, but I'm sure that if I talked to people who played you in lacrosse, they'd say he was a son of a bitch, man. That guy, <laughs> man, because you, you're, a, you're out to win, yeah. of course. Yeah. Now, you can do that and be classy and elegant. Of course you can, right? <laughs> but, I mean, there's plenty of game film of Tom Brady going to the defense <laughs> on the sideline and grabbing them by the masks and saying, look, boys. <laughs> but I heard off the field, he's like, all these guys love him. But on the field, they're probably, you know, my buddy B.J. Armstrong, uh, he played for the Bulls. And B.J. is like one of my dear friends in the world. And I honestly don't even know the rules of basketball, right? So I met him completely organically. And the fact that he's in the NBA is I could care less, right? I, when people are like, oh, that guy's a surgeon, I'm like, so he's good at cutting people open, fixing them. And that's great. But what is that? I'm supposed to put him in some social hierarchy, yeah. right? Now, if someone's like, see that guy over there? He's an award-winning social worker. That impresses me. I'm like, okay, that this guy's got to be pretty special. But that might not be special to a CEO who might go, that guy's finished 15 triathlons. Ooh, that's my guy. Because people are motivated differently, yeah. right? They're, and they're self-motivated. So I get done talking about my whole seal spiel, and the guy next to me goes, that's he goes, that's actually incredibly, that's exactly what it is. And I go, oh yeah, right, cool. And he's like, I've been a SEAL for 10 years. I'm like, <laughs> I knew there was something about this guy. you know. And then all of a sudden, like the wing lat stood yeah, out yeah, yeah. and the rear delt and the very, and the, the intelligence and the just the aura because the auras come from the unbelievable challenges and adversity that he's overcome. So when people say you need to have self-belief, you have to go through enough to believe in yourself. You can't go to, you can't go to Barnes and Nobles. Is that, is that a thing anymore? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's still right. I, I, I can't, I, I, is there bookstores yeah. anymore? Um, is you can't go to Barnes and Noble. I mean, I remember one time I was in Barnes and Noble and I, 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 because I went to bookstores a lot, I started to notice that the self-help section was like getting bigger and bigger. It was like metastasizing and taking over half the store. And I, you know, I'd sit in there and read through it. And, and uh, before there was Kindles and stuff. And I would just be like, man, this book on self-belief is eight chapters long. And I would read it and go, this is just a load of shit. And then I noticed like at the times of my life where I was the most confused and the most lost, it was when I was reading most of those books, like I, I, I knew all those books, right? Like 
all those books. And I still think today, like what is still popular, I'm so glad to see people like Andrew Huberman, yeah. um, you know, to, to, to mention and Lex Friedman, there's so many more, uh, but talking about, you know, we're talking about neuroscientists and neurophysiologists at Stanford and high thinking individuals who are looking at health and wellness based on the brain more so than like, were you bullied as a child? Yeah. Okay. Who wasn't? Okay. And Mandela was thrown in jail for 26 years and came out and he didn't even have rights as a citizen and came out and became the president. Mm. So yes, I have empathy for people who realize, who think that their past is what holds them back today. But I don't have sympathy because I've seen way too many individuals overcome that. And so what if happiness is actually connected to overcoming and it's not even connected to consuming? But if that's the case, capitalism goes away overnight. We have a great depression all the way over the world because we've created an economy that's based on consumption, that's based on image and being in the in crowd or looking a certain way. And so, of course, we're all twisted up, man, because that's not really the purpose of life. Mm. It's, it's not. You were mentioning the SEALs getting through Hell Week, where there's something deeper to them, some purpose. What is that for you? What's, what's under the surface that has allowed you to get through all the shit storms you've been through over the last 20 years? I'm not sure. I think we're all born with the natural ability to do that as survivors, yeah. right? Um as we were talking before we got on, we, I, I, I had mentioned about dopamine and how in, in evolution of biology, dopamine came from the challenges in the hunt. So once we had failed, we released this dopamine because if we didn't release the dopamine, we would have just quit because there a bit, we would have just quit because we didn't have this chemical to make us feel like it was worth it to continue to push on. And we didn't release dopamine during the kill. Um, it's amazing to watch people, you know, win golf tournaments or get awards or honors, and they typically cry and they feel like they can't believe they're being they're winning or being awarded. They're almost relieved, right? <laughs> and so, when the commentators like, you know, those are tears of joy. I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling joy, bro, I've never cried in my life. And they're like those are tears of happiness. I'm like, I definitely when I'm happy, I don't cry. I think what happens in that moment is all the doubt and all the narratives of it won't be me. Why am I doing that? It all surfaces at that moment. And, you know, Tiger never really cried when he won tournaments, um, except when it was related to his father or mother or something like that. Right. Um, Because he was just like, one, I'm physically probably the best. Two, I train harder than everybody. And yeah, what are these guys crying for? I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> right? But but even then, we have, you know, the Kobe's and Michael Jordan's hugging with tears. The big NBA trophy in front of the whole world is because, I mean, you think Kobe wanted to go to the gym four times a day? Probably not. He probably didn't. I, I can't imagine that he did. But He just did it because he knew what he wanted to do. And I think the purpose for me is you just give him one chance at life. You know, Um, like we all have one chance. And 
I guess what guides me in a way, and it sounds morbid, but I, I promise you it's not, is when it's all said and done, we're going to realize, probably most of us, that our main purpose was to our wife and our kids, right? And that's, that's very evolutionary, 100%. Um, that's something that's been in our DNA forever, like forever, forever, forever. And, you know, guys get so traumatized when they're not there for the birth of their child. But we never were. We never were. Like, we weren't, okay? There's one person who needs to be there at the birth of the child, and that is the person that's touch will help the baby and whose milk will provide for the baby. We are there for the picture, okay? <laughs> we really are. Now, I'm so grateful I was there, and I would never miss it for the world, but it's potentially, too, that at that moment, there wasn't an opportunity that I could have taken that would have benefited them in the future anyway. So it... it it's I've had to talk to many men about this and we weren't there ever. It's a new thing, right? <laughs> it's a, hot showers are a new thing. Eating when you want is a new thing. Uh, not having to exercise to produce success is a new thing. It's all new. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we're a mess. Um, but I kind of just, I guess it probably was about 10 years ago. I was in an airport in Chicago and Look, at one point, my idea of what this would have been would have been to be the best coach over, regarded by everybody with the most wins, the most number ones, the most money, the most fame. No doubt. No, there's no doubt. In my, in my insecure years, now, I'm, I'm probably, in, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not insecure now. I'm just secure with it. Hmm. So I'm, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think it's okay. I think. I think back in, once again, we go back to biology. I think insecurity came from like, we heard a growl and we're like, oh shit, that thing sounds bigger than me. I'm very insecure right now. So I think, I think it's fine. I think if you're insecure with yourself, it's totally fine. Okay. But once again, it's an embracing, sitting with it, not the capitulation of it. Right. Um, but now I'm just secure with, I've learned why I was such a disaster, which is great. Um, but I can't say it helps me every day, but at least I know why I'm being an asshole. Um, and I know it's not because of the person on the other side of me. So that's what it would have been then. Because the reason I say my insecure times is because all those things were going to be enunciations from other people that made me feel, hey, I'm the guy. Okay. Yep. So out, it's out. Once again, it's outside in, Sean. It's not inside out. And it's all inside out. So, um, you know, and then it was this, this, and this. Uh, and then it was this, this, and this. And then, you know, 10 years ago, I was in this airport. And this man came up to me and he said, are you Sean Foley? And I said, yes, I am, sir. And he goes, look, I'm not, I'm not a golfer, um, but I'm a radiologist. And is your dad Gerald Foley? And I said, uh, yep, that's my father. And he, my dad used to sell radiology equipment. He worked for DuPont. And uh, he said, Sean, your dad is the finest man I've ever met in my life. And I was like, hmm, I like that. Hmm. I, like, I like that. So it, it's not on purpose because then it, then it won't be taken. Remember, there's a bullshit sensor in our soul and it's completely identifying authenticity every time.
All right. And if you're connected enough with yourself, other people show up like that, the bat signal in the Gotham night. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's definitely a sense that about this. Um, and so I, I kind of just, I guess what governs my purpose now is like all those years from now, it could be two years, it could be 40. Um, if I'm kind of hovering over my wake and my sons and my wife are there, what are they, what are the stories they're offering? You know, to my, to my kids. And, and I think back in the day, if I'd had that same kind of, you know, creative representation of, of, of the why or the purpose or whatever you want to call it, it would have been them saying your dad was the greatest golf coach that ever lived. Hmm. That would have been like, yeah, that's it. Right. But that's a much younger version of myself. Okay. But look, I did some great things, accomplished a lot and felt very empty and was like, "Mm, this can't really be it. So look, Nick Saban. Hey, you know what? This is, you might die on that field. I'm not going to die on the range, bro. I promise you. Right. It's just not going to be like that. And it's to each his own, whatever we value. It's not, I'm only doing this for myself. I'm not concerned. I have no debate about what other people find important at all. Okay. At the, that you know, everyone is free to be who they are around me. Like you wouldn't believe. So I think it was that. And then there was another time where I had a guy I coached. He was a CEO. This is back in Toronto. And when he passed away, I went to his funeral and there was 10 people there. And then years and years later, uh, I can't remember if it was a teacher or a janitor at my high school, and I couldn't be there. But my buddy called me and said they had to put speakers in the parking lot. Hmm. And so think about a guy like Rush Limbaugh, right? And look, I'm not right or left. I'm a truthist. I'm after, if you are on the right and you say something that makes mathematical sense to me, I'm in. If you say it, I'm, I'm in, Okay. I probably would veer socially. I'm obviously very open, but if you're socially conservative, then you're just a bigot. What, what does that even mean? How can you even, how can you be, what you think about somebody else doesn't even matter anyway. So it's like, I don't, I'm not on either side. Like I could write an article about why I don't like Donald Trump and I could write an article about why I don't like Joe Biden. And then I could probably also write an article on why I like them too. It, we're, we're, I'm imperfect. So I'm sure they are as well. Yeah. Okay. We all, we all have our shit, right? So, I mean, think about that. Like, that was so interesting to me. So a guy like Rush Limbaugh was, you know, when he was alive, he was so recognized and so heard and all that. Man, since he passed away, I never heard about him, bro. Never heard about him. But every year I get to turn on the TV and listen to I Have a Dream speech, you know, like every year. And I think that's just a speech we should probably listen to every day. But I mean, you know, the vibrations and the goosebumps, like goosebumps are a pretty good sign of what you're interested in. Yeah. Goosebumps are a pretty good sign of what you're interested in. You know what I mean? Um, And, and so I think it's probably more of that. It's kind of like, all right, I got this life. Um, I've really focused 
you know, I've, I've really focused on my career up to this point and I'm continuing to, and I'm still working hard, but in a different way. And I'm trying to create more tentacles off of the octopus. The octopus is golf on all these tentacles are kind of subsidiaries off a massive river, like little creeks of um, what we've done myself and David Woods with the pro sender um, as a training aid uh, for golf um, speaking, um, putting my name, Sean Foley performance up at uh, the learning center at Frederica five years ago. If you asked me, you know, would you want to do this? I'd said, no, man, I'm alive on this PGA tour. But, you know, as time goes on, things unveil themselves to you how they are. So I think, you know, we, in life, we always have to give everything the benefit of the doubt. But after we've done that, when things show you exactly how they are, then you have to act accordingly to what you've now seen. Mm -hmm. And so I can't go back and coach like I did five years ago. I tried to do that for the last two years. And I was so, I was just like, there's no life to me. I was like, I was able to do it because I'm good at it. And then, you know what? It doesn't suck to be in San Diego for the week. And, you know, I enjoy enough about the game, but I just felt so empty. Hmm. Whereas at one point, that was like, at one point, I had to remind myself to call my family on the road. That's how focused I was. Yeah. I remember when my dad called me and said, you haven't spoke to your mother in three months. I had no idea, bro. Like, I was so locked in. I would sit in my room at night and drink some beers and look at stats and look at videos and make notes. I don't do that anymore because mm -hmm. I, I know that's not it. Like it was a part of helping me get to where I got. But when you get a player who comes to you who was the number one amateur in the world and then they've lost their card and in a brutal way, like they're just terrible at golf and they were so good at one point understanding the golf swing is not going to help them out of that rut. It's just not like, it's just, it's not going to do it. Yeah. Of course there's things they need to work on. But then when you look at neuroscience, you realize that you can't really adapt a movement much after the age of 32. And that's just a few scientists. There's plenty of unicorns who prove these things wrong, but it, it, if I think back to my experiences of players over that age, it's like, yeah, wow, that's pretty on point, right? So the key is to get, you know, all that. And then by that point, too, they've seen every sports psychologist. So you have to undo all that. Not, I'm not generalizing every sports psychologist. Once again, it's a label. And I have a bias to that label based on my in my bias comes from my interaction, though. My bias doesn't come from um, just being told these things. Right. Uh, you know, be patient, be positive, have belief, be confident today. That's incredibly vague and incredibly. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that that's that's just not it. That's just not it. Um, I have been around a lot of successful people in many different branches of life. And if you told me impatience, frustration, insecurity, I'd go, yeah, that would probably make people really successful. <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't, it's, it's the billionaire who gives the speech that the key to life is money. And it's like, well, bro, at some point it was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and anyone listening, if they haven't read that, 
of any book I could talk about. I think that that was really important for me because that first chapter is like a hundred pages. Um, the second chapter is just on what he created logotherapy. So he created the, you know, he's one of the goats kind of therapy, he created his therapy around meaning and purpose, right? Not around happiness and being content. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as he talks about in that first chapter, I mean, he's a psychiatrist who's taken as a Jewish prisoner into Auschwitz. So, but he's a psychiatrist. I mean, I don't think you could be, you could have a better Petri dish for human emotions and human behavior than that. Right. Because you're now getting to the point of absolute, just pure survival. Like death is eminent, completely eminent. So how are people going to react knowing that death is near is, is eminent or, the longer they stay alive, the better chances they have, hmm. right? So as long as they could show, the men especially, as, as long as the, they could show that they could do work, they would keep them alive. Women and children were gone right away, right? Um, as he writes in the book, you know, these guys were emaciated, right? Uh, after a year, they've got so many diseases, lupus uh, or typhus, just bodies, bodies eating itself at this point, right? Um, frostbite, like toes gone, like just everything, like just sounds like the most unbelievable suffering and torture ever. But what kept them alive was the vision of seeing their wife and their sons again, or their wife and their daughter, or their girlfriend, or their mother, or their father, a, a, a something much bigger than them. Right. Mm -hmm. if, if it was just about them, they're fucking gone. They're like, yeah. just kill me. This is too bad. Yeah. Right. This is back to the seals again. Yeah. Right. It's like the ones who make it shouldn't. The ones who do, they did. And, uh, uh, the ones who should make it didn't. You know, like the Admiral's son who played wide receiver for Navy and ran a 4-3 and benched 250 50 times and did all this stuff. and was super. He's out in three days. Right. <laughs> but, you know. Joey Pastorano, who's the, 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 who's the Pennsylvania state wrestling champion who uh, had an alcoholic abusive father and had to go over to his uncle Joey's and have the shit kicked out of him every week by his cousins. Yeah. He's in the water in Coronado. He's like, ah, this ain't so bad. It ain't yeah. South Philly. <laughs> right. So there, there's something to that, right? There's, there's something to that. And, and guess what? There'll be a lot more Admiral Sons at least have an opportunity to attempt being a SEAL than the Joni Pastoranos, right? Mm. But people who grow up like that, we, you could say the potential of them being a statistic is very high, right? Yeah. So they're kind of unicorns in a way. But the, the, the idea of, like, of that, I think, is being lost a little bit because we're just, life is being made more simple, right? Like, I mean, my son wrote an essay the other day and I couldn't believe how short it took. And when I read it, it was beautiful. And but I, I thought he cheated because he like literally went on his computer. Do you know how long, you know, how old are you now? 36. Right. So you. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were at the age where when we used to have to do research, we have to go to the library. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we had to well, find index card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. I just think we probably learned a hell of a lot more about the topic when we did that. Mm. And, and so the, the problem about access is, is that, you know, like 
I go to, I still go to the mall and everyone laughs at me. They're like, dude, you just get that thing delivered. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but it never fits right. <laughs> and then what do I got to do? And then I, I got to go and, 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 and the whole thing. And I remember it, during the pandemic, I looked in the neighborhood and I was like, oh my God, why did I not put every dollar I had left in Amazon? Every day we had shit showing yeah. up. I'm like, I'm like, why do we need a cat collar? We don't even have a cat. Yeah. <laughs> because you, John, John Mayer, uh, I'm not, he's fantastic. I'm a hip hop guy through and through, but I respect a lot of different type of music. Yeah. I just don't really turn it on in my car. Right. Um, but he, but he has a lyric in the song where he said, I was feeling down. I was feeling glum. I needed joy. So I went to the mall and I bought it all right. Just consumptions, consumption therapy. So I think during the pandemic, I can't believe I did not invest. In it. I'm like, what are you even thinking about now? But once again, it's, it's, as human beings, we should all never say, oh, I wish I would have. Look, you didn't. And everyone in hindsight is as smart as Einstein. And you know what? You go through what you go through to learn from it and hopefully create more abundance in your life going forward. And so what was interesting about Frankel is that he says in the book that you're reading it and you're like, how can they make it through this? Like, it's almost like a fiction. Like, there's no way, right? And then... Um, he says that as soon as news would make it back to the camp that their family had been killed, these guys died in 30 seconds. Yeah. So if happiness is what should get us through life, I can't imagine that that experience had anything to do with happiness whatsoever. I think what he said that meaning and purpose is really, really key. And I think for a lot of us, we're never allowed to really get to the, our own estimate of what that meaning and purpose is, is because you know so many people have created our like my junior golfers with their parents i gotta grab their parents and go yo what are you doing what are you doing like the number one player in the world scotty scheffler when he got to number one last year this week last year his dad went onto the green and said i don't care that you're the number one golfer in the world i'm proud of the man you've become mm. that is it's possible to be great at sports and not have to have a psycho parent. Okay. So if you take an athletic kid whose parents force him to do something and look, if a kid's like, man, they forced me to play golf, cry me a river, like 2 billion kids are starving to me. Yeah. So I get it. It's, if it's not your choice, then we can talk about it. But um, your idea of a problem is pretty, pretty good on, you know, it's pretty a good problem to have really. Um, and they normally go, yeah, that makes sense. That's right. Um, but then if they've never met a poor kid, then they're like, I don't get it. What do you mean people are poor? So it's, it's all tricky, right? But the kids are just good enough that it looks like that how they're being taught is the reason they're successful. And obviously the parents freak out because they're living their life through the kid. Mm -hmm. And so every success is going to be more a function of, oh, look at what I've done as a dad. Like I got this sorted out or as a mom. Moms are crazy too, right? Whereas the goats aren't like that. The goats are not like that. It, it mattered so much to them to be the best they could be and to be better than everybody else. That's what pushed them through. So you could argue, I mean, Tom Brady might have had one of the worst combines in the history of the NFL. You don't look at his combine and say that's going to be the greatest football player of all time. No way. 
you don't look at the scouting reports on Steph Curry are like um, not fast enough, not strong enough, can't play in the post, um, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, depends way too much on an outside shot. He changed the way the game is yeah. scored now, yeah. right? <laughs> his his incredible disadvantage, I yeah. think it is a disadvantage to be six foot two in the NBA. Yeah. Looks like it, right? <laughs> Became this incredible advantage because he learned to literally shoot like thought free because he just had to get the ball off as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And he was always small, right? Like always small. And uh, I find him fascinating. Uh, I met him a couple of times and he's salt of the earth. But I just guys like that, I want to know everything about. Like, mm-hmm. how did they do it? Why do they do it? And then if I get the opportunity to meet them, I they probably get annoyed because I probably sound like uh I, I probably sound like Mike Wallace, um, just purely interviewing them, yeah. right? But I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. So he learns to shoot in a way where he gets the ball off as fast as possible. His favorite thing in the world is basketball. Vince Carter tells a story about how annoying Steph Carter uh, or how how annoying Steph Curry was as a kid. So when he played with Del Curry, um, Steph was like I don't know, ten or twelve. I don't really remember the, the age. But everywhere he went, he had a backpack and a basketball. didn't matter. Like, his parents would get annoyed. Like, don't bring the basketball to the dinner table, right? And I see my son walk around with his lacrosse stick wherever he goes, Sean, everywhere. And and I'm like, I'm not going to tell him. I'm I'm probably not going to let him bring it to dinner. (laughs) But my buddy's like, dude, all your kid does walking around with a lacrosse stick. Is that weird? And I'm like, I I, I don't know, bro. I'm hoping he might be the Steph Curry of lacrosse. (laughs) A little, a little bit. A little bit, right? Um, but he said Steph would not let you get past him if you wouldn't play one-on-one with him. Like, wouldn't. And during halftime, get off the court, Steph. Yeah. Like, all this stuff, right? And then when they played one-on-one, Vince never, be- ever, ever, ever let him score on him. Ever. Right? Because he's, he's a predator too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's a great guy and he loves kids, but he's like, I ain't let no kids score on me. Right. That's fine. It's okay. And so years later, Steph gets into the NBA. Vince is on him. Cause Vince played for like a hundred years yeah. in the NBA. Um, I'm not the one who should be having knee problems. And this guy still looks like he's 22 years old. Right. He's, he's a uh, next time I get stem cells, I want them to be Vince's. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, and the story's really funny. He says, uh, we're playing, you know, we're going down the court and uh, Steph pulls up on me and hits this three. And as we're running down the court, he pats me on the ass and say, payback's a bitch, Vince. <laughs> that is an amazing and story. <laughs> Tom, Tom Brady was on the shop with LeBron. And uh, have you seen the shop? I, I know what it is. I've not seen an episode. Guilty to say that. It's no, no, that's yeah. cool. No, it's, it's, it's all right. It's not like mind blowing, but it's kind of cool, you know, and, and look, a lot of people aren't going to really tell you they're going to just, you know, be their image or their brand anyways. But it is pretty cool. Um, and Tom Brady was on it, but but LeBron wasn't on it. And so Maverick Carter, uh, LeBron's guy, yeah. says starts off the show and they're all sitting in the barber chairs. Right. And uh, Tom's sitting there just looking like Tom, like he's designed in a lab. <laughs> and uh, he's sitting there and. Maverick starts off and he's like, hey, Tom, tell us about uh, in the draft how they took that quarterback before you. And Sean, he sits up in the chair 
and he says, can you believe they picked that mother bleep over me? Yeah. And, and he's furious. Yeah. Hair on the back came up. And they're dying laughing because they're, they're all, they've all given up to the fact that he's the GOAT with seven Super Bowls. Yeah. I mean, right? <laughs> and, and so Mavericks just got him. Like, he just, he, he just put, like, a, tu- dead, yeah. a, a bleeding tuna into And it was, <laughs> it, it was, he got the exact response that he wanted. And uh, Tom's like, you know, I made that team pay for it every single year. And then he had to sit back and, like, calm down again. Hmm. So apparently he didn't do it for the money. Apparently he didn't do it for the Super Bowls. Apparently he probably doesn't even care that he's referred to as the GOAT. He just had this chip on his shoulder that's never gone away, and that's what got him out of bed at five. And so if a guy's got a chip on his shoulder, is that maybe the best experience to go through life? I don't know. It wouldn't be for me. Hmm. But um, you, you can't. You know, we've got these guys on tour who have a chip on their shoulder. And a therapist looks at that as insecurity. And I'm like, I know, but isn't the insecurity that I might have had 300,000 years ago the reason that I knew they were going to attack me that night and Mm. I was ready for it? Like, why is that a bad word? Mm. Like, why is I don't get why it's a bad word. I think it I think insecurity is something that is almost like a radar in a sense. It's like, all right, I'm. Now, like I said, it's not something it, – it, once again, it comes back to the most important word in the world, which is acceptance. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can do that, you know, we give ourselves – by accepting, we give ourselves the ability to move on. Now, acceptance in religion is called forgiveness. Same thing, right? The same thing. Yeah. And so we know so many stories of people who held on to the anger and the hatred and the anger and the hatred and the anger and the hatred. And then one day they finally forgave the person that harmed them or their family. And then all of a sudden they felt that their life changed dramatically. It's like what that person did, obviously there should have been a period of natural grief and anger and confusion. But now the pain that you feel is only relegated to the fact that you hold on to it. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, man, I, I, I'm bummed. We, we've got to wrap this one up. We we're going to have to do a round two. Like you said, we could do seven different podcasts based on this, but Sean, you were saying a few minutes ago, you love sitting down and just learning from someone. If you could do this long form conversation, who in the world would you love to sit down with? Oh man. I mean, the list is, the list is like, the list is incredibly long. Um, I've always been fascinated by Oprah Um, and she's imperfect like me. So I'm sure people go, well, Oprah did this, this. Okay. Yeah, me too. Like we all did. Fuck. Like like, we're all all not, we're all not perfect. So I'm not, I'm not stunned when someone has done things 10 years ago in their life. That was a bad decision. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's, that's pretty, it's actually kind of comical when you think about it. Um, That, that would be interesting to me. The reason that would be interesting to me is because in the United States of America, without a doubt, um, without a doubt, and I don't care what people have been indoctrinated into, um, no one will ever debate to me that the steepest mountain to climb will be an African-American woman. There's, there's no way. So when I 
see something like Oprah or Condoleezza Rice and, and I, her politics, I don't really agree with, but it doesn't matter. That's like, that doesn't mean any, that's not to me, that's just the style. It's not the dynamics. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I mean by that is my one son likes brownies and my one son likes cookies. And so the other one goes, I can't believe you like brownies. And the other one goes, I can't believe you like cookies. And they, they probably argue about everything. So they probably argue about that. And I go, what you both like is sugar. That's the dynamic in the whole thing. Okay. So style doesn't mean shit to me. Like if, if you go to diesel, you can buy skinny jeans and you can buy fat jeans and you can buy bell bottoms. They're so different that they don't look like diesel. They're the same denim. That's the dynamic. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important to be able to intercept the difference between dynamics and style. And when you do, then you understand that in between a stimulus and a response, there's a time where you can decide on how you want to act. You are not affected at all by the stimulus. The response is a choice. Um, that is in Viktor Frankl's yeah. book um, as well, right? So I have the greatest understanding of the Middle East um, of anyone on the planet. Wrote the book, uh, The World is Flat, um, which he obviously did not think the world was flat. Um, but I've just, he's always been like incredible um to to me and i've just a lot of what i understand about international relations and foreign policy isn't what i was taught in school it's what i've been taught by tom mm -hmm. um yeah there there's there's so many people like you know some of the most amazing people i ever met my second son when he was born he was born with a congenital diaphragmatic hernia um so just short story is when the baby is in the womb, the diaphragm tears and they're inverted. So the organs pour through the hole to where the lungs develop and they're born without lungs um, or not with, you know, working lungs. Yep. So cerebral palsy is uh, is an outcome, but really a miserable life for the most part is outcome. Um, and he uh, luckily enough, he was a massive medical miracle. Um, almost a unicorn in that whole field and being able to sit there for like 25 days, whatever, 20, 25 days and watch the NICU nurses was mind blowing to me. Hmm. Like, like was just a whole different level. Like I watched how they did their job and really after he's born, my next great year, my, the best stretch I have as a coach uh, also your best stroke as a coach also comes from the quality, the passion that your players have, right? So, you know, if Nick Saban went and coached the worst team in the NCAA, they're probably going to have a better year than they did the year before. But, you know, what he's earned himself the ability to do now is recruit the best players in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's it. It's what you do early in coaching sets you up to where like when people are like, man, you and Justin Rose did a great job. Um, we did, but he also almost won the British open when he was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of a unicorn, mm -hmm. right? It, he, you should always do a good job with him because he's just good. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I'm, 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 I'm humble enough to know that when all these top kids from the country now come out seeking my help, that they're already the best. Yeah. So I can only look good even if I say nothing to them. Oh, he's my coach. And they're like, oh, he coaches you? I didn't fucking coach them until they were 17. 
they've already done all their learning anyway. So now I'm here to say, you know what? I think you're spending too much time worried about this guy who's no good. Because hmm. your scores are, sh you're shooting higher scores that you normally don't shoot. Yeah, this driver's not that good. You won five tournaments with that driver. It ain't the driver. Yeah. Okay. You don't have clarity and you're in conflict with yourself. It, that's where I go more now, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think that that's, that's what we should be doing, right? Like we should be, we should be evolving, like even within ourselves. So Sean, if the listeners can stay connected with you, I know it's seanfoleygolf.com. Where else can we direct them? Uh, if they want to stay more connected with you and find out more about behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, the more connected um, would probably be um, uh, Sean Foley Performance is my uh, is what I use on Instagram. Um, I kind of you know I, I put a lot of different stuff on there. Like I said, I'm I'm more interested in my interaction with the world than the amount of followers that I have. Um, now, remember, twenty years ago it would have been like, how do I get more followers, right? And needing once again outside references to show me I'm worth it. Um, that's how you can do it. Um, and then um, if we have some super golf fans out there, uh, the training aid that David Woods and I created, um, that's at ProSender, P-R-O-S-E-N-D-R, uh, golf.com. Um, so that's, that's kind of how you can be in contact. And all that is in the show notes as always. Sean Foley, you're the man. I appreciate it. All right, Sean. That was a pleasure, man. I enjoyed that. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.